Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And today we've got another special guest. Oh, it's another Rob. We already had a special <laughs> guest named Rob. Rob, say hello. Hi, this is Rob, a long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I just realized that five or six podcasts ago, one of the guys that plays in our regular game, his name is Rob. Yeah. So I was good. I almost said special guest named Rob, but... It's a different Rob this time. He's on the phone with us from Cleveland. Cleveland. Right? Well, Akron, so, I guess, technically. Ak- okay. So, yeah, that's why his voice sounds a little <laughs> weird. And next time we do this, we'll figure out how to do it better. But this will be fine for yeah. you. So, uh, Rob only has limited time with us today. So, one of the things that we're going to talk about first that is your topic that Rob will be able to put some input in is conflict between characters or conflict between players? Well, the, the way it was expressed on Twitter is I think it was more character conflict. So you have a character, like say I'm playing a paladin of Paylor and I'm the goody-goody two-shoes and there's another character that's playing sort of the morally ambiguous thief. Um, how does that conflict work itself out? Because you're playing a game and at some point somebody just has to say, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to let this slide or I'm going to find a way to remove myself of the situation. Between so that, the players, not between the DM and the... Correct. Um, and I know Rob, Rob actually, he and I played together for several years up in Cleveland. I've talked quite a lot about that group I played with. Uh, and then after I left, the group has kind of evolved a little bit. A couple, couple of the same players, a couple of the new players. Um, and just having talked to Rob on a personal level, I know that he's had some frustrations with that game because some of that stuff... The, it, people are just not giving in and not saying, okay, I'm going to let this slide. And so the game sometimes just grinds to a halt. Okay, so is this an example of what you're talking about? Like, let's say one of the characters says something to another character during the game that maybe is like a uh, an, an, an antagonizing comment. And then let's say later in the game they're sleeping, so one of the other characters goes and steals something out of his sack. And then the other player knows that it happens, so then he decides, well, I'm going to punch him in the face. But then the other character won't let it go, so then they end up getting in a fight. And then they end up, you have to play that out in the game because there's a, this conflict. Right, that, that, that can't be an example. That's more of just like something that happens in the game more than like an ideological difference. So uh, explain an example of what you're talking okay. about. And Rob, we're not, we're not forgetting about you, <laughs> so just stand by. So the example I would have is as the A-Team, the original A-Team show. You got B.A. Baracus. Every episode, there's a scene where he's like, I ain't getting on no plane. And yet they always find a way to drug him. He always ends up on a plane. And then he wakes up the next day and he's in Costa Rica. And there's no way he could have gotten there other than being on a plane. Mm-hmm. And he never says anything. In a D&D game, he would then kill everyone for screwing with him. Or he would be like, I'm not going to eat that because I know it's drugged because you're trying to get me on a plane. So B.A. makes the conscious decision of saying... Okay, my ethics will not let me get on a plane, but they will let you drug me so I get on a plane. I know you're going to do it, but I'm going to pretend like I don't. And that's how I think a D&D game has to be at some point when you're playing that paladin that's a goody two-shoes and you know there's somebody that needs to be assassinated. In the game, you just find a reason for your paladin to go do something. Okay, so, I have a res- I have one response to it. Rob, okay. do you have anything that you're thinking about? Yeah, well, um, I'll tell you what, if I, if I start into it, it'll be a little bit of a background, just because i got to tell you a little how. Go um, ahead. A great example of the dynamic of our players go. So the group I, I currently play with up here, um, all long-time players. Most of us have been playing since we were uh, probably eight, nine years old. So a lot of us are good friends. We've known each other a long time. We've been playing together for a real long time. Um, 
we're really big into character background and understanding, you know, developing your own concept of what your character is and really role-playing out. The problem is that can lead to some severe conflict when it comes to, like, a paladin joining with a thief, for example. Um, you know, one, a great example of it would be we had a character in one of our last groups who was a dwarven trader, and he didn't even really want to do anything adventurous. His real goal was just to make money, so he constantly moved from place to place and tried to sell things. Any storyline that came in and was involved inside this, this dwarven trader had no desire whatsoever to do anything dangerous. He just wanted to make profit. So I, I typically have to take the role as, as a, a group leader, so to speak. So what I do is I almost always have to find a way to convince that dwarven trader to get involved and actually risk his life to make a little more profit. So, um, but it can be a real challenge because he may not, may or may not agree with it. So, do you so, think? Do you think that that comes up most of the time when you have a group that doesn't begin with a common goal in mind, and basically yes. you have games that, like, what maybe you're playing a campaign that takes a month or two, or maybe you're playing like a revolving campaign where there's different stories happening all the time, but it's the same characters. So you have. The ga- you have a game where everybody writes their own background, they're their own character, but then when you're actually in the game, you don't have a common ground and a common goal among all the characters that would make them want to do- make the same decisions and take the same path. Right. Do you think that that's where a lot of that comes from? I'm, yeah, I'm a very strong believer that it is, it's, a, it's all about the, the group dynamic. It's the common goal. Like the, if the DM doesn't set a common goal or something to strive towards that everyone can kind of see, then it has to be one of the players who kind of set those goals, mm-hmm. or the other player. Um, so if someone takes kind of that leadership role and they're forced to um, guide the team and give them reasons to, to complete what they're completing and come from, I guess, find the form of communication that works best for that player and that character to what makes sense for both. It makes sense. And, and that's something we've talked about before on here, that... When I usually when I start a new game, I almost always give the players some sort of guidelines on how I want them to create their character. They all have to be from the same village, or they all have to be the same race. Um, and the reason I do that is even though it does limit in some ways what you can create, which part of role playing game is you can do anything. But for the sake of the game, it works so much better when you're unified together. Like in our current game, we're playing the, the Made Men podcast. You're all part of a criminal organization, and your character Zane is the leader. Like I wrote into everyone's background, Zane is the leader. So unless there's some really crazy thing that happens, you're going to listen to him. You know, if you were to play like a Star Trek role-playing game and someone's the first officer, you would listen to them unless they're doing something crazy. It it just helps set the game up so that you, you avoid those conflicts. But even then I still think it's hard. And I've been saying to you, like, I, I hope that our game gets to a point where the, the, the dynamic of the game isn't such that I'm following, I'm pursuing a goal and they're along with me and listen and just listening to me because I'm their leader. And it turns into my goal ter- uh, somehow encompasses something that they, that happened in their life that they want to get. And then we're all, right. instead of them just following me because I'm their leader, they have a reason to want to pursue the same goal that I'm pursuing. Right. And I'm, and I'm right. working and on that. I don't think there needs to be a defined leader. Like, it's not a situation where the, the, the DM establishes a leader. I think that someone usually kind of stands out as the leader and tends to be the conflict or the, the, the mediator. 
and gets everyone moving in a certain direction by convincing them. Um, and I always found myself to kind of be in that role only because the, the group I play with, but I, I can definitely see, like, I know that in, in the game where Michael led a while back, um, and, and Michael's a very story-driven DM, so obviously you have a difference. Um, some are very, like, he, he writes it like it's a book. So in following his, it's very easy to get everyone involved on the same page, but when you play with some of the DMs I've played with, um, one of our great friends, Jake, he has this really open sandbox concept where he doesn't even tell you what to do at all. And you kind of get into your own trouble. And the problem is the players can start going their own direction if someone doesn't kind of guide them towards something. Mm-hmm. The thing that I was going to say about, well, what, what I was thinking about as player conflict, I was thinking about something totally different where you have, like, the first thing that I described, where you have kind of player characters that aren't getting along with each other maybe in the game, which isn't what you were talking about. Well, it, it can be. I think they're, they're both different symptoms of the same sort of disease that you could have where your just motivations don't make sense and it's hard to say, you know, I'm the goody two-shoes, I'm going to go with rescue the princess for, for the sake of being a hero. And you have another character who's that more ambiguous is like, well, unless there's money in it, I don't care, so I'll, I'm not going. And then you kind of have to either create a different game as a DM, go, okay, well, clearly the, the setup I had to rescue the princess won't work because half the party doesn't care. Because they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. So I got to find a way to, to make a game that everyone's involved in. Mm-hmm. That is, that, that's a, there's a group dynamic problem there. And I, for me, that comes from background. Again, you just have to set up at the beginning. Okay, you guys, can, you can be the assassin and you can be the paladin, but there's got to be something that connects you two that you have to figure out so that you will help each other out to most some, some extent. So who do you think, for both Rob and Michael, who do you think... That re- that relies that comes to rely more on. Do you think that that needs? Do you think that it works out better when that comes from the DM and the DM basically hands over a background or hands over a story or something about them that this is what you're doing together? Or does it need to come? Or does it work out better when it comes from the players and the players try to figure it out for themselves? Well, I'll go first. For me, I think it's easier when the DM does it, which is why I do it most of the time. I think in our most recent games, it's worked out well. Again, I just think it's so much easier. I think it might be more rewarding if it comes from the players. Like if I were to create a game and say, much like Jake, you guys can play anything you want. You can be the Dwarven Trader, you can be the Paladin, you can be the Assassin, you can be the Ranger, you can be the Loner. And then in the game, you have to find a way to come together. I think you would actually have to develop an almost real relationship over time to make that work. And if you got there, it would probably be fantastic. I just don't know that most most groups would, would survive that long. And by group, I mean that session, like the game would get changed rather than necessarily players. And it, Or it just the group just ends up breaking down yeah. because there's no moving forward and then the game gets boring and then people start wanting to do weird things Other like things. jump off of walls, walls and try and grab one of trees exactly. and kill Because if the story isn't moving, eventually one player or the other is going to just start doing stuff. They're like, And if you read the fourth edition, uh, Players Guide, it talks about there's like seven different character types, and I don't remember all of them all right now, but one I think is called an instigator, that if the game slows down, they're just going to start doing stuff. You know, if you put them in a room <laughs> with four or five levers, and, and somebody's eventually just going to start pulling them just to make something happen. Yeah. Um, so, again, how do you keep them occupied 
so that they're not disrupting the game mm -hmm. and keep the people who want to figure out that puzzle happy. And they're like going through all the clues and reading their notes. And they know that this lever has to be, and this guy's like, fuck it, I'm just going to do this. And then the monster comes out, which is like <laughs> what happened in your game. All right, so, so Rob, so what do you have to add to that as far as the DM setting a background that kind of forces cohesion versus the players finding their own over time? Well, I, I think you hit the nail around the head. Um, it's easier, it's it's more effective, actually, if the DM does it. However, you're right, it's more rewarding if the, if the players do it. And I bring that up because, I mean, I have built some really great, like, camaraderie with characters, some, some great storylines that come out of the fact that we worked out our own problems. But I've also had the exact opposite happen in those situations when, when we've tried to solve our own problems and the DM didn't really give us guidance to where literally the game stopped entirely. Um, because some of those conflicts can uh, unfortunately turn into realistic and, and real out-of-game conflicts um, where you disagree about the concept of good or the concept of evil and, and you're like, well, your character would do this. Well, you don't know that person's character, so you really can't assume that. I mean, I, what, what they describe may not be perfect. But if we're done that background, like you said, if, if, if everyone gets a clear background, a clear understanding of background and kind of lets everyone know what it is, it helps you to facilitate that. I think it makes more sense for the DM to hand over what the common ground is and what the common goal is. I just think that nine times out of ten, you're going to have a better overall game when your goals as a group and what's holding your group together comes from the DM. And the, and the reason I... The way it makes sense to me is it's kind of like opening up a book and reading it or sitting down in a movie theater to watch a movie. You're along for the ride of whoever's writing that story and creating that movie or writing that book. And it may that it may not go exactly where you want it to, but you're not going to like stand up halfway through the movie and say I'm not going to watch this anymore, I'm leaving because it didn't go the way you had thought that it was going to go or the way you had planned it out. You're I, like, it's the same way when you're sitting down to a new story, to a new campaign, you're playing the DM story. Some of them are going to go good and some of them you're not going to like, Right. but you're still in the hands of the storyteller. And you're, I think you're going to have the best experience when you kind of give over control of the story to the storyteller. Right. And I do think, and again, going back to that gamer's contract, I'll see if I can pull it up and I might link it. And when I, when we post this, cause it's, it's really good stuff. And it talks about, you know, you're there to have fun. You want to play a game. And sometimes your character has to go along with stuff, but imagine, you know, like the Lord of the Rings, one person Tolkien wrote that story and it involved humans and elves and dwarves and then the bad guys and so on and so forth. But if you had one writer that wrote one character, one writer wrote a different, one writer wrote a different character, so you had 12 different characters, writers. Write the Bible. Well, that, but it, there's no way that they would all get along like that. You know, the, the dwarf would eventually get pissed off and leave, and the elf would get mm -hmm. mad and leave because they were playing their own character. That's exactly, that's perfect. If, if you, you, couldn't, you couldn't tell a publisher that you're going to write a novel and tell 10 different people, okay, you're going to write the the story from your character's point of view, you're going to write from your character's point of view. So you have 10 different people writing 10 different stories and then just sit down, put them all together and hand them in. They're not going to make sense. They're not going right. to go together. You have to have everybody's individual stories at least being channeled and funneled through one person yep. so that that person can make sure that 
that everybody's characters are finding a way into the common ground. And, into and in, in that case, the DM absolutely is the writer in that situation where even if you have a very open game system, again, like Jake, he was mentioned, like Rob was mentioned, Jake does, as the DM, you still should have some control. Like, you know, Rob goes and creates whatever character he wants. But before we show up to that first game, I should have sat down with Rob or on the phone or internet and went through his background. And I may say, okay, that's great, but how about you add in this one situation that happened you know, where so-and-so saved your life. Now, that way you're now connected. Or you saved so-and-so's life, so you're now connected. So even if it's just little tweaks, the DM still should be able to thread something between all the characters so that they still are a cohesive unit when you start. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of to jump to along the same veins is when you have player conflict, not necessarily character conflict. So you actually have a player at the table maybe outside of the game has pissed you off or something they do in the game and, and it and it spills over from being a game situation to a real situation. Rob, do you have anything on that you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I don't think that... I would hope that in most situations that's not, you know, it doesn't spill to an extreme argument or anything, but it's definitely the... I guess the biggest thing you can get there is whether or not someone's really into the game. Um, and I know I've, I've had the conversation with... Uh, we actually lost one of our players up here because we, we literally talked to him and said, in a tragic do you want accident. to play or... Or what's your goal here? Are you just, you know, you want to come and meet and we could just have a movie night and, and drink beers and eat pizza if that's what you'd rather do because it doesn't seem like you're really into the game. So, I mean, I think that you kind of have to take the big boy pants, put them on, and, and have that conversation when you get to that point. Rob, what was that player or that person doing at the table or at game night that you guys just went, I, you know, he's, something's not right here. He's not into what's going on. Um, but it turned into, basically, they were interested in anything other than the game, so, I mean, they would talk about the latest news article right in the middle of a, a situation, like, you might have been having a, a battle may have been starting, and, and, you know, you're just starting to set everything up, and I know that can be a whole different conversation, but you're starting to set up all the battle map and everything and, and get prepared, and this is in 3.5, so just to give you a little reference, and, and he would immediately go to his phone and start looking at the latest news article and trying to change the conversation. Um, sure, he's a little bored at the beginning, and then he wouldn't let it go after the game got back into playing. So he just easily distracted, wasn't really that interested in the game. Um, it seemed like, and in the end, he admitted, "Yeah, I'm just not really that interested in playing D and D anymore." <laughs> so he did. He play still anymore. was he still interested in just coming to hang out, and so he just wanted to come yeah. and hang out. Yeah, that's really what he wanted to do was just come hang out. And and we have another character. I mean, I don't want to name any names, but we have another player of ours who's very uh, uh, alpha so to speak, um, you know, and is very argumentative, so he really wants to play D&D, but if you start any conversation other than that, he's quick to jump on it and start sidetracking, and all of a sudden the whole game can just end. Right we, have a care. we have a player just like that. <laughs> we, yeah. have a, we have a... Our player, Rob, he, he is very interested in the game, and he is there to play, but I, he just can't help himself. He just, like, wants to... As soon as he thinks of something, but it doesn't have to do with the game, he just, he's got to bring it up. Like, did you see this YouTube video, or did you yeah. see this news article, or something like that? And usually, uh -huh. usually he just is on it for 20 or 30 seconds, and then we're back to the game, and it's fine. But sometimes he can, like, bring something out, and it'll be like a three-minute video that he wants us to watch. Right. But yeah, I, like, I call it ADHD D and D. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like right in the middle of the game. It's like, hey, remember this time? And then it's just he just goes, and we all just kind of sit there. 
And they're like, okay. It we- doesn't really bother me that bad, but I could see it if it was somebody who, if it was somebody else that maybe just did way too much of it. Right. And I could see it yeah, really and, and Rob's It doesn't bother me that much either, as long as it only happens, you know, a couple times, uh, you know, a game session or something, but it's every single moment of the game where you're not getting in and down. That's where we kind of got to the point is that, is this something you want to do? Is, you're, you're, yeah, kind of like. Everything else you want to do besides this. I think when you you start to see that player looking for opportunities to bring to like interject, like looking for opportunities to steer it, you know. So as soon as there's a downtime or as soon as there's a lag in conversation or something like that, then he wants to bring something else up. Yeah, usually with Rob, it's where we'll do something in the game and it really does remind him. It's not like it's, it's separate completely. It sparks a memory and he'll go, "Oh man, that reminds me of this time in that movie. Do you guys remember that movie?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's still connected to the game tangibly, at least. Um, right. One of the things that I wanted to say about, like, going, I think, taking a step back, and this has more to do with what we were talking about before, but I think that you have a lot of times, and I'm even guilty, I'm guilty of this myself, and I think I would be a better player at the table. And I think everybody would be a better player at the table if they worked on this and were better at this. But I kind of see sitting down to play D&D as, like, whose line is it anyway? It's an improv session. And I love that show. I love watching that show. And I've heard people talk about, like, taking improv classes and things like that. And one of the first things that they teach you... like your first day at an improv improv class is that you never deny you never ever deny so if you're like if you're watching that show and there's a scene they're doing a scene and you know they're going back and forth as soon as one person steers the scene in a new direction and the other person doesn't allow the scene to go in that direction then it's dead it's over so the way the scenes always work is because you have two pe- you have two people that are constantly trying to steer the scenes in new directions, but they're both going with whatever the other person is saying, and that's when it works, and that's when it's really funny, and that's when it, you know, that's that's when you really enjoy it. And I think the same thing applies to the to the table when you have four or five people in the DM sitting around. Everybody wants to steer the scene in one direction or steer the story in one direction or do something that's for them or for their character. And if you have a lot of people denying, then that can create conflict between the characters. And then I think a lot of times, like uh, person, not, uh, not character conflict, but player conflict can come from inside the game. Like, if they're not happy with something that somebody else did inside the game. I've done it. Like, I've been pissed off about something that another character did in the game, but then me, Evan, has sat back at the table and steamed about it and been pissed off, and that's had an influence in what I did. So, the more you can let other people's stories work with your story and the DM story work with your story and just say yes... I think the more success you're going to have and the more fun you're going to have in the story. No, I would, I would agree. And a lot of times, if you, even going with that improv analogy, that you may have an idea of your character, this is what my character would do, this is what my character believes, 
and someone else does something, and just for the sake of the game, you go with it, and it, it sort of is a little bit off of what you originally in, intended, you then have to work backwards and figure out, okay, well, why would my character say okay here when it's against his beliefs? And you're probably going to create a more believable and more dimensional character because you do have these sort of um, conflicts within your personality. I mean, everybody's like that. Like, I believe this, except when it's this. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes on Tuesday, if this happens. Yeah, I think stealing is wrong, but if I found a $100 bill on the ground, I'd pick it up and take it home. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you have a character yeah, like I think, I think what happens is, since it's not, it's not real life in, in their eyes, obviously, I don't think they can really... It's, it's, it's black and white sometimes in a player's eyes, and realistically, you know, everything's gray. You need to have that to be able to bend the situation. I mean, every context is really important in everything, that I make every decision in my real life. Why wouldn't I do the same thing in the game? You know, just add some context to it and allow your character to be more fluid in, in what he his goals are. Uh, and, and he may be a thief who's really all about profit, but if he has a good friend who's getting hurt, I mean, I'm still willing to step in there and be the hero. But, okay, so that brings... was That kind of takes me into a topic that I wanted to talk about. Was there something that you wanted to go to no, after this? No, that's fine. Keep going. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, like, re- realism in a game. And that kind of goes into... You have a character, you've created a character that, like, is inherently good, let's say. And he's always wants to do the right thing. But sometimes in the game, just like in life, you're faced with a choice where, yeah, you can do what would the morally right thing, but it might have consequences for someone else that's not good. Or it might not just make sense in this situation. So... I always feel like there's this, I feel like with me, there's this uh, meter, there's this realism meter. And I think that I have more fun in the game when the meter is more towards the realistic side and less towards the fantasy side. So like making decisions where like, well, yeah, I said like, I'm, I said that I am really good or I am a devout follower of my God, but in a real like in a real setting in real life you might say well my god would disagree with this but i have to do it anyways whereas in the game you have people that might just hit a brick wall and say no i won't do that no i absolutely won't do that well and it kind of goes back to what you were saying where it's like well if you don't just agree to do this with this then what are you going to do does the story stop here for you yeah like do you, are we just going to leave you behind and for the next couple games you're not going to come cuz you're not we're making this choice to go in this direction and it may not be something that your character agrees with. Right. But if you don't just give in and agree with it, then what does that mean for you? Like the story is just over. What is the point of you being so um, stern and saying, I'm not going to, not going to change. And if if you're trying to say to your character's background, I I can kind of understand to a point, but again, I would go back to my previous argument that if you find a way to say yes, it's going to make your character more interesting. Mm-hmm. But you still have to justify Absolutely. it either to yourself in some way or another. I just think that's, that's going to help round out your character and make it more interesting rather than being a cardboard cutout. I'm always good. I'm always evil. If I'm always good, you know, but maybe you have a good friend who's a bad guy and you're constantly trying to, you know, bring them to the light or, or get them out of their, their problems. But, you know, they get high on drugs and they go and they kill somebody and then you help them get away. You know, you... You've just done a really evil thing, but it's for your friend. That's a lot more interesting character than the guy who goes, oh, no, my best friend just killed somebody. 
he's guilty, and then you sentence him to jail. Come with me. I'm taking you to the king. Yeah. I'm turning you in. Turning you in. But we've been friends forever. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. So, I don't know. I, I, think, I think that's... Go ahead, Rob. I think that's also where other players can, can help out, though. I mean, that's where that whole team dynamic can come in, because, honestly, some of the best role-playing moments I can remember are some of the internal arguments where you actually aren't in the middle of a battle or anything. You afterwards talk about it as, as characters. And you're able to say, you know, why did you do that? And and you're able to kind of come to the conclusion that, sure, this paladin wants to do everything right, and you have to convince him that what he did was right. Um, even though it may have involved something that was a choice against his. You can have those uh, as-character conversations. I can see that. I um, just, usually it's the problem with the end. It's something where you just kind of have to start it yourself. But right. it can be really rewarding when you do that, because it really feels like, the team spirit—it's—it's kind of neat. As long as it stays in game, like I could see that conversation devolving really quickly into player versus player. Like you were saying, like what is good, what is evil, and trying to get into the sort of you know philosophical debate. But if it's something from a character's point of view, where the paladin had to do something that they probably didn't want to do, and they're feeling kind of down, and maybe they're even questioning their faith, and then as a character, you convince them that what they did was right in that situation. Then yeah, I can see where that'd be a very rewarding role play situation as long as it stays in character. And you know, I haven't played the D and D next. Like I talked to you a little bit about it, Michael. So I, I mean, I don't know much about it, but I can tell you in three point five, uh, you know, you're looking for any opportunities to role play that you can, because a lot of it is system based and, and rolling um, and strategy. So opportunities like that in a three point five style game are fantastic if if players are willing to start them themselves. I think that's really the key there. All right, well, this has one thing that I wanted to bring up was something that happened in our last game. And as a DM, I hit, I was, I'm DMing that game. It's my story. It was the second game that we've played. No, it was, this happened in the first game. Okay. And as a DM, I hit a wall where I didn't know what to do. And I want to explain the situation to you guys, and then you guys can tell me maybe what you would have done. Because I'm sure this is a situation that comes up sometimes. But I think, first of all, I made um, probably a huge mistake that a somebody who's been DMing for a long time wouldn't have done. And that's... and <laughs> I left a prisoner alive with the players without anybody around. So, what, so, so to set the scene, uh, Michael's character and Rob's character... It's their first game, and they went out to this mining town. And while they were there, the town got attacked by some bandits. Some of the, most of the bandits were killed by the townspeople, but two of them were captured alive, and they were tied up, and they were thrown in this uh, warehouse. And when there was no one around, Michael and Rob, they went in the warehouse and was like, all right, well, we're going to interrogate these uh, NPCs. So they didn't know why the bandits attacked the town. They didn't know what they were there for. So they wanted, I mean, it was really in the dark. So they wanted, and I should have seen this coming because of course they're going to, of course the town that they were in was attacked and they had no idea why. And I left two people alive who attacked the town. So of course they're going to go try and interrogate them and figure out right. why they were there. Now, Outside of the game, I had nothing for those players to tell you. 
like I had absolutely no information that they knew. The only thing that they knew was that they were supposed to, I don't think I'm going to give anything away if I tell you this, but the truth is, is that there was a leader who knew what they were there for, but he wasn't one of the two people that was left alive. Right. And the two people that were left alive that you were interrogating were just like bottom of the rung people who knew nothing. Sure. But you, as players, didn't know that. You had no idea that those people didn't know anything. And I think from your point of view, you must have been thinking, well, if the DM gave us these two people to interrogate, there must be something that we're supposed to get out of them. Right. And what, what's so funny about this, just to jump in, is we had a conversation, I think, two episodes ago about the situation I put you in in your very first game that was that semi-erotic where the girl wanted to have sex with you and you kept thinking it was part of the game. So Rob, you... has uh, Michael ever put you in a situation <laughs> in-game where you had to have sex with somebody? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's into now in Cincinnati. <laughs> but but this is exactly that same situation, is that you thought that that girl had something to do with the game, so you kept trying to figure out why you were having this interaction, where in my mind I'm like, she just wants to have sex with you. And it's the exact opposite in that situation where we we kept thinking, there's something these guys are supposed to tell us. So, That's why they're here. So the situation started more on the realistic side. Where you where you walked in, the two people were tied up, and you started asking them questions. And then when they didn't want to answer your questions, you started making threats. Like, yes. you know, well... The, the Patriot Act was in full force. Yeah. And we started waterboarding them. Yeah. And, I'm waterboarding. Yep. And <laughs> with my response, like, every, like, they'd ask a question, and then you'd punch them in the stomach. And then you'd look at me, and my response response as the npc was like please please stop please stop torturing me i don't know anything i swear and from your point of view you're like oh he's lying he's got to know something right so the torture tactics got worse worse and worse and worse and more ridiculous and more ridiculous and then i hit this point i hit i hit i came to this point where i thought okay if if I don't give them some information to make them feel like they maybe accomplished what they were supposed to, then what I was afraid of was this getting out of hand where, like, you guys... I didn't feel like I could just have you um, doing anything you wanted to these uh, captured bandits without any consequences. And so what I was afraid of was you guys doing something to them that I was going to have to have a negative response, like, okay, you killed one of them, or you badly injured one of them. And that might not be a big deal in some cases, but in this case, you're in a town of these really calm, easygoing people where if you... I I was thinking if you would have done that, then these people might have turned on you. Well, and I don't want to jump in really quickly, because one of the things that the, the guy on Twitter who asked us about the conflict... I brought up that something happened in your game that was similar, and that's exactly the situation where my character, I was trying to do more psychological torture. Like, I kept hinting at bad things would happen and, and you know, doing crazy things, trying to break them down psychologically. And Rob was like, Rob I tea, was, I'm teabagging. Yeah, well, Rob started, like, cutting on them, and at one point he, like, flayed one of their guys' feet. The first thing he did was he picked up a bucket, he, he filled it up with his own urine, and then he dunked their head dunked in their it. Head in it. And I and I was like, okay, right, all right. So I just kept trying to psychologically break them down because that's what my character is—he's more of a con man. And Rob was like really hurting them, and, and I actually, as a player or as a character, was like, okay, this is like 
that wasn't what I was trying to do either. I didn't want to physically hurt them. So Rob and I kind of had a bit of a conflict. And even after right. the game, he said something. I'm like, you know, it's your character. Like, I'm not upset that you did that. But my character is upset that your character did that because that's not what I wanted to have happen. But this was also yeah. the first game we played together. I didn't know that that's what, how he was going to play his character. So, you know, some of it was just ignorance on my part. Rob has also never been in that situation before, I don't think. Where he was... Where he's been left alone and could interrogate somebody. Because that's... In any D&D game, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're playing, there's some investigation to the story, there's some action to the story, and there's some conflict to the story. And if if you... No matter what, if you're in a situation where you capture somebody and you have a prisoner... 100% 100% of the time, you're going to ask them questions and interrogate them. And yeah. that's just the nature of how the story unfolds. So oh, yeah. I don't think Rob had ever been in that situation before. And there was this, there was this line where the, the meter went from realistic over into extreme fantasy. Like, okay, now they're, okay, now you guys are doing things that would only happen in like extreme almost comical like comedy level movie or story or something like that and i didn't know what to do with it and the and my my uh saving grace came when you realized that there was still another guy in the room and you turned to him and you were like, what do you have to say? And he's like, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which means it worked in, in, yeah. in, in a way. But so, I really just made stuff up to tell you so that you would have a feeling of accomplishment and you would leave him the hell alone. Right, Which and it worked. So I, I know, Rob, you tried to jump in at one point. And we, it's, you know, obviously being on the phone is kind of hard. So what did you want to talk about? Uh, what I was going to say is in that, in that situation, I Evan, mean, I don't think you did anything wrong. I mean, to be honest, if I was in your shoes... Um, and the character, you always have to be prepared for characters to be caught alive, no matter what. Just be prepared for it in some little bit of way, because I think one of the worst experiences you can have is when someone dies unexplainably, and, you know, like, you're just going to automatically kill them. Yeah, because um, your players are just going to be left going, I, why did you do that? Yeah. What's that? You're, like you said, if you have somebody that just dies unexpectedly or it doesn't make sense, yeah. I think you can you can lose a little bit of trust from your players because they're because they're like why why did you do that that didn't make any sense. Yeah. It turns into like a railroading effect to where they feel like they don't have any any control over the game whatsoever. Right. Um, and they have no choice in the game as to what's going to happen. So I, I think you did the right thing by you know letting people live. I think, uh, you know, if I was in your shoes, I probably would have prepared for someone to be alive and maybe had an idea of what I was going to go with and stick with it. Okay, so first um, problem, lack of preparation. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, how many games have you been in, Rob, though, where somebody was captured and tortured and nothing came out of it? Um, very few, but, I mean, there have definitely been some. They were probably all mine because I did the same thing. I like, yeah. I don't have anything yeah. in the first time. <laughs> this was Bandit number one. Okay, he was just some random guy. He was supposed to die. I didn't know you weren't going to kill him. And Bandit one may only say, "Hey, listen, man. You know, Hawkeye over here, the guy you killed. He's the one who had all the information. I don't know anything." Yeah. So I mean, if you can kind of sell it that way, sometimes the the other players are buy it and just say, "Okay." But I have also run into the exact same situation that you had where some characters suddenly peeing in a bucket and pouring it over someone's head or cutting off fingers one at a time. That was probably um, me. It, <laughs> and I think what has to happen is, you, you, you're right, you have to let the consequences happen throughout the game. It may not happen that <clears> deep <throat> session, 
But 10, 10 stations down the road, you might, one of the other characters might feel like, um, you know, I'm not letting this guy near this, <laughs> this captain this time. So as a DM, you have, if your players are like tor- basically torturing somebody and you're doing, and you're watching them, here's the, the, here's the thing. Everybody likes to play D&D because you get to do things in D&D that you don't get to do in yeah. real life. You get to yeah. you get to uh, role play a fantasy character. Yeah. But I think people forget that some things that I may do may have bad consequences. And so yeah. everybody likes everybody likes the scene in the movie where the guy's getting asked questions and he's being punched in the stomach and he coughs up some blood and he's like, fuck you, man. He doesn't want to tell him everything. Like, everybody loves that scene because, he, you know, the torture scene. But now you're put in a situation where you can actually role play it out. And so they tend to... I, I feel like... I feel like it's not satisfying if they just ask him some questions and go, oh, well, he, must, he doesn't know anything. Right. He must not know anything. And it's not satisfying yeah, not to walk away from that situation without feeling like you gained something. Well, and I think psychologically, from my point of view, I really just hurt somebody for no reason. Like, if it turns out that there is this master plot that they tell me, then okay, I did a terrible thing, but some good came out of it. But if I torture someone and they really don't know anything... I'm a terrible person at that point. So I'm going to keep going until they eventually tell me something, even if it's a lie, just to make me feel better. Right. <laughs> just, yeah. Uh, everybody plays a little different, but I mean, you know, punching rough in a guy, that's one thing. You know, cutting off fingers and <laughs> disemboweling them is another. Uh, yeah. kind of hits into a different category, but I, I think that's where... So what do you do? What do you? But, but what do you think a DM should do when you have that situation? Okay, now your players are are cutting off fingers and they're breaking limbs and they're and they might go so far as to kill this guy. Do you think that you move forward from that scene and pretend that it never happened because you don't want these bad consequences to happen to these characters? One one because you weren't prepared for it, so it might take your story somewhere completely different. And yeah, I mean what do you what do you think you should do? You talked a little bit earlier about kind of like a continuum, a, a meter. Um, I think Michael can, can attest to some of the games I've played. I like to play some really strange, like, consequences. Uh, one example is a, I had a situation where someone was being about to be sacrificed on an altar. And um, in, in this exact mystery, they weren't sure whether they should be saving her or whether they should let her die. I know it was kind of weird. Um, but I believe that when you let the players do what they need to do, and then the consequences will fall them later on. You don't forget it. You don't just let it go. But if they torture someone, and one of those other, maybe someone was peeking in and saw the torture is going on in the stables, then suddenly the city is gossiping and they hear the rumors. And yeah, it can change the dynamic of your story, but that's where kind of at the end you have to have those contingencies and be sort of fluid with it. Well, I think one of the big consequences there that, that's easy, that doesn't necessarily destroy your game, would be the next time we fought some of those bandits, then let's say that we're we're getting overrun and we want to surrender and they're like fuck that we're going to kill you because you killed our guy or we get captured and they torture us and it's not just the punch in the gut torture they start cutting off our fingers and now we have characters that can't use a bow or use a sword like well would you go so far as to do that like would you like if we like let's say you guys got captured if you were the dm and now you guys get captured let's say 
you I want this I don't want the story to be over, so I'm gonna allow you to escape. I know that going into it. But before you escape, I'm gonna have a this torture scene and you're you got one of you might lose a hand. I've maimed characters before. And then I've maimed characters before too. <laughs> and then what do you do? Do you say your okay, your character sheet is alternate is permanently altered, like you have negatives to this and this because of, of Yes. And unless yeah. again, within the fantasy world, there's probably a way to compensate, you know, magical spells that can bring back your your missing limbs or eye or whatever. But I think that would be, again, that that is a consequence that makes sense. You tortured someone you captured. When you get captured, you should expect to be tortured. Do you think your players feel like they were treated fairly? I don't know. Yes. You, you uh, asked Rob. I'm teaching them a lesson, really. But, <laughs> but do you? That's kind of what I mean. Is like. As the DM, you've taught him a lesson, but do you think the player is going into the situation like, this is fantasy, man, just let me get away with it? I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't say that I've ever had a conversation um, that really happened that way. Well, this is a little bit off subject, but I did have one character. This was early like when I was playing when I was in high school, and you know, it was a terrible game. But I wanted to put someone's eye out because like, I just thought it would be cool. As the DM, I thought, well, that'd be a really cool thing to happen to a character is that they're in a fight and they actually lose an eye and they got to wear a patch from then on. So I set up the situation where I had an NPC basically shoot an arrow and kick the guy inside the face and put his eye out. And the player was so mad at me. He's like, how dare you? You know, that's that's my character. You don't have the right to do that to my character. Because, I mean, I did fudge the rules. It, in those versions of the rules, it would have to have been a called shot which there's these rules that would make it happen. Basically, I did something as an NPC that they probably could never have done as a PC. So it probably was unfair in that specific situation. That's the only time I can remember a, char- a, a player saying, no, you're not doing that to my character. Every time else, it's, it just kind of flowed. If, if people were upset, they didn't say anything to me. I don't remember having a conversation other than that. So is there... I, I, Go ahead, Rob. I, I think it goes both ways because, I mean... On your website at one point, I know in your comments section, you guys had a story, I think Rich told it, about uh, some, some arrows that were extremely potent. When yes. the DM made a mistake and left the door open, I took it. <laughs> I mean, I, I procured these arrows that basically kill anything in one shot. Yeah. So it kind of changed the dynamic of the game. Yeah, Rich so, put Rich put them in the game, and then yeah. I gave them to you. And that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> but, I mean, in that situation, is it fair to penalize me for... For a mistake that, that no, it's not. But in a situation where, where the characters made a choice to step outside of a line, which they know is a moral line, and they decide to torture someone or kill someone that doesn't deserve it, yeah, I think that there there's consequences that that, that are going to happen to them. And sure, it may not be permanent. Like Michael said, you may be able to re- reattach the hand or something, but it might even turn into a whole quest where they have to now solve that one problem. And hopefully, they learn from. So, so I don't think you should do it. So you don't I- forget it. As the DM in that situation, as that scene is happening, do you kind of see where the scene is going and you sit back and say, okay, I'm going to let them go as far as they want to go to see what they do and then I'll decide if there's consequences afterwards? Or do you try to come up with something at that moment to happen like to... To stop it. Like, you know, I could have had somebody from the town just bust into the warehouse and say, hey, what the hell are you doing? Or I, you know, or, um, 
and like I could have had the bandits show back up and they bust in and then you guys get in a fight and they free him or they die or something like that. There could have been a few things that I could have had happen during the torture scene to stop the torture scene. So do you think you and it would have if I would have stopped real quick just before you start, if I would have stopped the torture scene, I could have done it in a way that you wouldn't have felt like I stopped what you were doing probably like this was supposed to happen. Mm hmm. So, do you let it go, or do you stop it so that you don't have these characters that are doing these horrible things? It's your call. I mean, in your situation, I probably had two things happen. Um, if, if I was running that game and it was it was my game and it was going that direction, I would have one let the let the characters do what they're doing. Um, you know, if they're going to torture the guy, but I would stick to my guns and say they don't know anything. You know, he'd keep repeating, "Man, I don't know anything. I don't know anything." Even to the point where he got killed. Um, but I may have, in, in, like, if the whole group's inside the stable, for example, I may have mentioned, you, you begin to notice there are a bunch of townsfolks gathering around from the sound of the cries, to where at least it gives them that choice to realize, oh, I am doing something wrong here. I'm kind of making a lot of noise. You know, or they may have come up with a way to gab them or something. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's up to them as players. But you don't change it, in, in my opinion. I think that you stick to your guns as to what you were originally planning. If they don't know anything, they don't know anything. Don't. There's no reason to give them information and, they have to make up all this stuff instantly if you didn't have that ready. Right, but I think in a realistic torture situation, it like if I was being tortured, because I'll admit I'm I'm a pussy. Like I'm I am not Rambo by any stretch. I'm going to start telling them whatever they want to hear. Yeah, you might even make up shit. You're yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, so maybe you could have had them start making up stuff that we know was bullcrap, or you can you know my the sense problem. motive role. Clearly, he doesn't know anything, so now he's just making up stuff, and then I'll be like, oh okay, like that would have told me that would have signaled to me there's no point of this because he does not know anything. Uh, the other thing I might have done... that, Michael, is you might lead the whole team in a different direction, which can cause, you know, your entire game to go off course, like, dramatically. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> if you do what? What are you, like, what are you talking about if he does what? If, if he if makes you, up stuff and we don't stuff. realize he made it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I might have done, um, similar to like what I talked about, your situation with the erotic role play where I wanted just to move on, is you could have just said, all right, you know, kind of take it out of the role play and make it more of a player decision. You're torturing these guys. Right now, they're not giving you any information. How far are you going to go with torture? Are you going to maim them? Are you going to kill them? And then we would make that decision. Yeah, if, you know, we're going to go all the way to the point where we're going to kill them. Like, okay, they're dead. They never told you anything. And at least then we don't have that immediacy of the situation. And then you could move on to the role plays after that. So I, I don't know if that's, know that's better or worse. But being in that scene, like I got uncomfortable when Rob was physically cutting on those NPCs, because I'm like, my character is not cool with that. I was just trying to screw with their head, make them think we were going to hurt them. And Rob was like, nah. Which, again, is role play, because his character is a half-orc barbarian type guy. I'm sure in his character's mind, that's normal. And my guy, the con artist, is like, I don't want to be part I of it. I can see it making sense, because like <clears throat> Rob's character grew up on a farm. He's been, like, he's had to kill animals probably he's had to do stuff that he might be a little bit more desensitized maybe but yeah i just didn't i just didn't know what to do in that situation but that's good that's that's all really good advice i do think the way you handled it at the end though was a good like i thought it was a good out we went to the other guy because the guy we originally were torturing was that stoic a-hole. I'm never going to tell you anything no matter what you do. But he really didn't know He didn't really know anything. And the other guy was like, I'm so sorry, I don't have anything. Oh, my God. And just the way you even role-played it, we, we okay, okay, clearly there's nothing here. We, we can stop. We're not. Because 
we thought we were going to miss out on a part of the game. Mm-hmm. That's why we kept going because we, we were like, he put them here for a reason, right? And then we <laughs> couldn't find that reason, so we got frustrated, and our frustration became torture. You're uh, taking it out on that on guy. that poor guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to do, so you're going to get hurt. Uh, and, and that happens, I'm sure, in all kinds of games. That, that in similar situations where a DM just throws out a casual line or puts in a yeah. casual NPC for fun, and the players just latch onto it, and they, it has the most meaning to them. And the DM's like, I don't know. I think that's I probably... Like, I think Rob was trying to jump in there. Uh, go ahead, Rob. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think, I think that's part of the, It's just interesting how as players you tend to latch on to those things when probably eight out of ten times that person has no significance whatsoever. And then let's face it, we always try to capture someone alive because you want to know. But most of the times that happens just because the players outsmarted the, 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 the NPC in some way, and they know nothing. It's, it's strange because we don't always have a plan as to what that person knows. And you can always go with the cyanide tooth. You know, he pops his own tooth, bites down on it, foams in the mouth and dies. And then yeah, it's that. a mystery. <laughs> ah! That's what I hate. That's then I would have felt cheated <laughs> if I was the player <laughs> and you did that. I would have. I would have said. So, what so in my hell? next game, when the guy kills himself with a cyanide tooth, that that would be a bad thing. Yeah. I, okay. I'll I think that there's a. Di- I think that that kind of is the difference between have trying to do a really open sandbox game and more of a railroaded game, where like this is the story and this, you know, I want yeah. to do. This is my attempt at doing an open sandbox game. Like, what I um, want you guys as players to know going into any situation is that I don't want you to feel like you have to take the choices that I've given you in this situation. You know, like, if you come to um, a, a, a shipyard and somebody that you are chasing that you feel like you this is the point of the game like you have to get this guy if he gets on a ship and he's sailing away and like you can either get on a ship or you or and go after him or like i don't want you to feel like like okay well maybe let's try i want you to be able to go all right well let's this may be really weird but let's try this and i just want to go okay let's do that let's do what you want to do but i want to jump on a ship and go follow that ship yeah and i like the taxi like the taxi get in the back of the taxi that's right Here's a hundred dollars. Follow like, all that yeah. shit. But when you have an open sandbox game, I think that it can become more difficult for the players to see what they're supposed to take note of and what's just random happenings in the game. You know, they might like you're saying you might maybe they're walking through a town and some per- weird person comes up to them, and as a DM. You're just thinking, oh, this would be just in in the moment. Funny. In the moment, you're thinking this would be funny if this happened. But there, they might come out of that situation going, that must have had something to do with when so and so was talking to us, and remember when he mentioned this, and and it really didn't have anything to do with that. Right. All right, Rob. I think we're about close to wrapping up. Um, I know you you got to jump off here pretty quick. Is there anything you want to yeah. say before you go? No, you know, the only thing I'll add is with the sandbox thing. Um, you know, I found over the years as I did more and more that if you're planning on doing the sandbox thing, you actually, you, you only need to plan the key details. You don't have to plan everything out. Otherwise, you find yourself getting into that railroad effect. If you if you have, like, an open concept and build some contingencies in there that if, if a character does this, I'm going to do this. You, you can for all of them, but certain situations you might. That's really helped me develop that sandbox feel um you know it's a perfect no i'm sure i still have 
players that hate certain games and love other ones. But um, I, I just found that if you if you play in every detail down to the T, you're never going to get that open sandbox feel at all. Uh, and, so. and it's impossible to do that anyways. Uh, one of the things that I've done recently or I try to do is after each game, I ask the players to send me a, an email, you know, just a couple paragraphs from their point of view as their character based on what happened in the game, how does that affect them, and what do they kind of want to do next. So right. that helps me figure out, okay, I, you know, I want them to go kill this guy, but they're more interested in following up on this mystery artifact that's missing. Okay, well, then that's what I'll create for the next session. And then that way I'm continuously just sort of painting in front of them. They're walking through a, a gallery, and ever since they walk into a room, I've just finished that painting, and then I figure out which way they're going to go, and I, and I draw that painting or whatever. There's no way I could fill the gallery full of paintings first. It just wouldn't work. That that's makes a really good point. yeah, that makes that's a really good analogy. That's the what what I'm trying to do now. Cool. All right, Rob, man, we really appreciate jumping on. I know the technology didn't work out that well. I'm really hoping that the quality is good enough. Uh, for us to put up. But, oh, I wasn't recording. Ah, again. Uh, <laughs> but we, we definitely got to get you down here to visit, um, play, you know, we'll, we'll jump into one of our games and then we'll try to do a live session. It's just a lot easier when you can see the visual cues of people who are trying to interject and, and that kind of thing. So I uh, appreciate you jumping on. And any last words of wisdom? No, I love it. Um, you know, I, I think the whole goal of d and is just for everyone to have some fun. Um, so that's really what the whole point of it is. But I appreciate you guys uh, talking to me today. It was a lot of fun. All right, that's going to wrap it up. This has been Evan and Michael, and we'll see you next time. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.